1: Welcome to the Maxar Technologies Q3 2021 conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Mr. Jason Gursky, Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Treasurer.
2: Good afternoon, and thanks, Operator. Welcome to Maxar's third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. I'm joined today by the company's Chief Executive Officer, Dan Jablonski and its Chief Financial Officer, Biggs Porter. Both will make some opening remarks, after which we're going to open up the line for your questions. We're shooting to wrap up the call in about an hour. Before we get started, I'd like to refer listeners to the accompanying slides for today's presentation, which can be found on the company's website at maxr.com. Once there, please turn to slide two, where I'd like to remind you that part of today's discussion, including responses to various questions, may contain forward-looking statements, which represent the company's estimates, future plans, objectives, and expected performance at today's date. These statements are based on current assumptions that the company believes are reasonable but are subject to a wide range of uncertainties and risks that could lead actual results to differ materially from the forward-looking information. You referred to the advisory regarding forward-looking statements contained in our quarterly earnings releases, earnings call slide decks, and the company's most recent MD&A section found in our Form 10Q on the company's website at maxar.com. And with that, I'm going to uh, turn the discussion over to Dan. Dan, go ahead.
3: Thanks, Jason, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I get started, I'd like to welcome Tom Wayne, our Chief Strategy Officer, and Colleen Campbell, Chief Marketing Officer, to the Maxar team. Both are seasoned executives and have deep experience in the aero defense industry. Tom is a space industry veteran, having held both banking and operating roles over his 20-plus year career. He also has a long history with Maxar, having advised Digital Globe, one of our predecessor companies, as far back as 2012. Tom will lead corporate strategy, corporate development, and strategic investments as we look to drive long-term growth for our shareholders. Colleen most recently led marketing and communications at Allyon, a leading AI and cyber platform. Previously led digital strategy at Northrop, and earlier in her career, had leadership roles at Glover Park and Ogilvy, as now are leading our global marketing, media relations, and communications teams. We're very excited about the ecosystem in which we operate and the demand environment in front of us. This lends itself to a multitude of opportunities, and we want to be best positioned to take advantage of them. I'd like to remind investors that our 3D capabilities, which are a big driver of our current product growth, came by way of the VRICON JV that we set up way back in 2015. I'd also like to remind everyone that we remain committed to generating cash and to reducing debt and leverage in the years ahead. At this point, we're on the path to our long-term leverage targets, which should provide the company even more flexibility to execute on our strategic growth plans. Okay, now for the quarter and our progress. I'm gonna cover the key highlights from the quarter and provide an update on our 2021 priorities, including where we are with the Legion program, our next generation constellation. I'll also spend time describing our commercial business in the Earth Intelligence segment, provide some context on the breadth of our offerings and marquee customers, as well as the financial contribution this vertical makes to the company. Please turn to slide three of the accompanying presentation. We generated 5% year-over-year revenue growth in the quarter, excluding the effect of UV deferred, and 11% year-to-date. Of note, Earth Intelligence grew 7% year-over-year in the quarter and is now up 8% year-to-date despite the fact that we are currently capacity-constrained ahead of the Worldview Legion launches. Growth here was driven largely by product sales to commercial and government customers. Importantly, we saw 380 basis points of adjusted EBITDA margin expansion year-over-year, year, excluding EV deferred, driven by improvement in both segments. Bookings were solid this quarter and we generated a book-to-bill of 2.2 times. Key wins in space infrastructure included two GEO awards from SiriusXM, while in earth intelligence we received our 11th renewal of the Enhanced View program and were awarded numerous US and international government contracts, including another renewal of the Global EGD program. Year to date, total company book to bill is 1.1 times, reflecting solid demand for both multi-year contracts as well as strong book to ship activity in the earth intelligence segment this year. Importantly, we generated robust free cash flow and are now positive for the year through the end of the third quarter. Bank-defined leverage finished below four turns. Biggs will go into these metrics in more detail during his remarks, but I can say we're excited by the progress we've made over the past couple of years on both, and we look forward to continued momentum in the years ahead. Finally, as Biggs will discuss in more detail, we have increased our outlook for adjusted EBITDA and cash flow. Please turn to slide four for an update on our 2021 priorities. We remain focused on winning in earth intelligence, which means driving bookings growth, including for capacity on WorldView Legion, growing 3D capabilities, and extending enhanced view through the upcoming EOCL, or electro-optical commercial layer program with the NRO. In addition to the awards I mentioned a moment ago, we won an award to continue development and operations of a classified big data analytics program for the U.S. government. We renewed a contract with a large technology company, and we announced that two new customers signed multi-million dollar contracts earlier this year to subscribe to our rapid access program, including the first customer in Latin America. Importantly, we also signed a contract with a close U.S. ally to upgrade the country's ground infrastructure so that it is ready for the Legion constellation. This marks the fifth country to commit to a ground upgrade. As a reminder, one of these five countries has already committed to capacity buy on the Constellation, and we expect the others to do the same once the satellites are operational. This is a good sign that the demand environment remains robust. From an execution perspective, it was another good quarter, with the team generating both revenue and margin growth, excluding EV deferred, which as I mentioned earlier, is a great outcome given the capacity constraints we face ahead of the Legion launch. In early October, we attended the annual Geo and Supposing, an event that brings together leaders from across government and the industrial base. There, we continue to hear that government demand for geospatial data and analytics is as robust as ever. Our customers at the NRO, NGA, and military services seek to leverage the capabilities of the industrial base to better understand what's going on in every corner of the planet and importantly, they're increasingly looking for answers to tough questions and technology solutions, not just data. As I've discussed on prior earnings calls over the past couple of years, Maxar is positioned well for this demand environment. We've been making investments in our constellation to provide the highest quality data available in the commercial market. We've invested in platforms such as SecureWatch and Global EGD, which provide online access to our geospatial data analytical tool sets to hundreds of thousands of users across the US government and allied nations and to commercial enterprise customers and we've been investing in AI and machine learning capabilities that help turn data into insight and that drive improved sensor to shooter timelines we're excited about what the future holds with our government customers it's clear that the geopolitical environment is driving investment on their end particularly in the areas of focus for Maxar and we've been making investments for years to address this demand with well-proven technologies. I'm confident this positions us well to continue to be a trusted partner on our nation's most critical national security missions in the years ahead. Turning now to space infrastructure, where we are committed to consistent execution against some of the world's most complex space programs and to establishing a foundation for future growth. In addition to the serious XM Awards I mentioned earlier, We booked a contract modification with NASA for work on the power propulsion element and study contracts for national security work as we continue to look to shape new programs and further diversify the business. book to bill this quarter was a robust 2.5 times and now sits at a touch over one times for the year. The pipeline remains robust across both commercial and government and markets, but the precise timing of awards is always difficult to access. We're pleased with our bookings performance so far this year and look forward to updating investors as new awards are made. From an investment standpoint, as I mentioned last quarter, we continue to work on new satellite and constellation designs, including modular spacecraft and proliferated constellations, as we look to serve commercial, civil, and classified programs with highly engineered and affordable solutions. We also remain focused on our payloads and are proactively working on comprehensive packages that will solve our customers' demanding mission needs. Reflected in the financial results, we had a solid quarter as adjusted EBITDA margins continued their year-over-year improvement, reflecting better performance and healthier program mix. And finally, on financial flexibility, we're continuing to drive strong financial results in the business and see our way to significant cash generation in the quarters and years ahead, both of which should drive debt and leverage levels lower. Moving to Worldview Legion. Please turn to slide five. First, the punchline. We remain on track for a first launch in the March to June window of 2022, and we continue to expect the remainder of the Constellation will launch three to six months after the first. Importantly, the first flight unit is largely through its integration phases and is prepping for thermal vac. I know investors are interested in the remaining work before the satellites go into service, so I thought I'd provide some insight on the outstanding phases of the program. As you've heard me mention in the past, the program has already made its way through various design and integration reviews, and we've taken delivery of components and various subsystems from both internal and external suppliers, which we've been integrating. A key gating item this year was some hardware coming in from Honeywell and Raytheon, and as we reported out on last quarter's call, the Honeywell equipment to support the first launch has been delivered. With Raytheon, we've received and have integrated the first instrument and expect the second in the coming weeks. That's a short delay for the second one, but we do not expect this to cause any pressure on the overall program schedule. At this point, we expect the remaining hardware for the other satellites to flow during the fall and winter. Once all in, we complete the integration of the hardware and conduct initial performance testing. Then comes environmental testing, starting with thermal vac, then acoustics, and then vibration, all designed to simulate the launch characteristics and eventual environment the satellites will operate in, in space once on orbit. After all the testing is complete, including software validation, we'll begin launch campaign activities, including the shipment of the satellites to the launch facility down at the Cape. And lastly, of course, on-orbit testing and the beginning of revenue generation. On the right hand of this slide, we've included some photos that should give readers a better sense of the program. The top left picture is an artist's depiction of a Legion satellite on orbit. And on the one on the top right is the optical instrument before being integrated into the satellite bus. The larger picture at the bottom is what the first unit looked like on the factory floor recently. There, you see things like thermal blankets around the bus and the instrument integrated into the satellite. Of note, there are two employees standing off to the right. This should give you a pretty good sense of the scale of the satellite itself. We continue to believe we're on the right path for a launch in the March to June window next year, With the critical remaining steps being what I just described. Going forward, we will continue to provide updates on our progress on quarterly earnings calls, and we look forward to having you join us either virtually or in person at the launch site next year. Please turn to slide six. I'd like to take a moment to remind listeners that the Legion constellation represents both replacement and growth capacity. When initially launched, Legion will significantly augment our current constellation. On the replacement side, Legion, which will fly in both polar and mid-inclination orbits, will eventually replace GOI-1 and worldviews one and 2, which fly in polar orbit. Additionally, Legion will provide 30-centimeter class resolution versus the 40-50 to 50 centimeter capabilities of the satellites that it will be replacing. Both are important nuances. The mid-inclination orbit will allow us to collect more imagery in the areas with the most demand since 95% of the world's population lives between plus or minus 50 degrees latitude. And higher resolution data has historically garnered better price levels given its value to customer missions. In our view, the combination of additional capacity in the in-demand areas of the world and a significant enhancement in the quality mix of the data should drive solid revenue growth in the earth intelligence segment once Legion is on orbit. Importantly. Legion and the existing Constellation assets are broad area collectors that allow for monitoring type missions and that when combined with our existing Constellation will provide revisit rates of up to 15 times per day. This type of high resolution, highly accurate collection capacity feeds wide area, artificial intelligence and machine learning modeling, sensor to shooter applications, and is a key enabler of our ability to derive highly accurate and lifelike 3D models which we believe positions max our well to continue to be an industry leader as customers transition from 2D to 3D to address critical missions such as GPS denied navigation, simulation and training, autonomy, and network planning. Please turn to slide seven. Before I hand the call over to Biggs for a more detailed discussion of the numbers, I'd like to spend a few minutes double-clicking on the earth intelligence segments activity in the commercial vertical. In 2020, We generated $143 million in revenue from a who's who of the largest enterprise users of geospatial data, products, and analytics. We've been a trusted partner for the world's largest technology and telecommunications companies for well over a decade. And we're consistently onboarding new and innovative customers every year, including in the automotive and autonomous areas. These customers value our high-quality data and the products, services, and analytics that are derived from it and we look forward to growing with them in the future. Importantly, year-to-date performance is a pretty good indicator of how things are going on that front, with revenue up 23% through the third quarter of 2021 versus the same period a year ago. What I'd like to do now is walk you through the four primary product areas on on offer to commercial customers and then move to focus on one of them. I'm gonna move quickly through these slides to provide a general overview but encourage listeners to read through them in detail offline to fully appreciate the power and significance of our offerings to a broad set of enterprise customers. Please turn to slide nine. In general, our products span satellite access, geospatial foundation, precision mapping, and on-demand intelligence. I'm going to highlight geospatial foundation, a product area where we provide the highest quality satellite imagery, base maps, and 3D data over any location on the earth for solutions across a multitude of verticals. Slide 11 shows some of the areas where we're focused, including automotive and logistics, consumer mapping, risk management and monitoring, telecommunications, and metaverses, simulation, and gaming. Slides 12 and 13 showcase how we use our 15 centimeter HD product in the autonomous driving area. While slides 14 through 17 demonstrate how our vivid base maps and analyst-ready data allow users to unlock location intelligence for both consumer and first responder mapping applications. And finally, slides 18 through 23 highlight how our capabilities with 3D technology are helping customers in the technology and telecom, simulation and gaming, and autonomous verticals. I wanted to highlight the commercial vertical today because I know that it often gets overlooked given the critical national security missions for the U.S. government and our closest allies that we help to support. But at $143 million last year and growing, the commercial vertical is incredibly important to us and, as such, to our investors. It's an area that helps spur innovation across our products and services, and it's an area that we are going to be increasingly focused on in the future, as we see any number of applications across the commercial sub-verticals I mentioned earlier benefiting from the investments we're making in the Legion constellation, investments in 3D, and our investments in AI and ML, all of which are topics that I've covered in depth on previous earnings calls. And with that, I'm gonna turn the call over to Vegs for a deeper dive on quarterly performance and how 2022 and 2023 are shaping up. Biggs. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Please turn to slide 24, where we present
0: year-over-year comparisons for the third quarter. Our net income for Q3 was 14 million, driven primarily by strong performance in both Earth intelligence and space infrastructure. Revenue was roughly flat year-over-year for the quarter and is up 4% year-to-date on a reported basis, excluding the effects of the enhanced fee contract deferred revenue burn-off total company revenues increased 5% year-over-year, year, driven by recent wins in space infrastructure and product growth at Earth intelligence. On a year-to-date basis, total company revenues increased 11%, excluding the effects of the EB-deferred revenue burnoff, and adjusted EBITDA margins increased by 300 basis points. Please turn to slide 25, where I'll discuss Earth intelligence results without the effect of EV deferred Revenue increased 7% year over year in the third quarter, driven primarily by increases from international defense and intelligence commercial customers, offset slightly by a reduction of revenue from U.S. government customers. Adjusted EBITDA margins expanded 330 basis points, driven by the expansion of contracts with existing commercial and international defense and intelligence customers, contributing to positive margin growth. On a full year basis, Revenue was up 8% year-over-year, year, driven by increases from international defense and intelligence commercial customers, and adjusted EBITDA margins expanded 100 basis points. Please turn to slide 26. Space infrastructure revenue was essentially flat year-over-year, year, while margins expanded 120 basis points, driven by the profitability of recent awards. As well as fewer negative EAC impacts, including those related to COVID-19 taken last year. This was offset partially by an increase in indirect costs and selling, general and administrative costs. Year-to-date revenues up 9%, primarily driven by an increase in revenues from commercial programs, as well as lower EAC growth. Adjusted EBITDA margins expanded to 860 basis points driven by the profitability of recent program awards, offset by reductions in revenue from the serious XM 7 charges taken during the year, and modest increases in indirect and SG&A costs. Before moving on to a discussion of cash flows, I did want to comment more generally on the supply chain issues and COVID vaccination requirements that have impacted various industries. We continue to monitor our supply chain closely and do not expect to see any material impacts at this time. Also, we're pleased to report we have already have approximately 92% of our workforce that has submitted proof of their vaccination status. We'll continue to work through the various protocols. Please turn to slide 27. The company generated $136 million in operating cash flow from continuing operations in the third quarter and invested $51 million in CapEx. Operating cash flow for the quarter was positively impacted by the timing of cash receipts and other favorable working capital changes as expected, which we outlined in the second quarter call. Please turn to slide 28. We have roughly 508 million liquidity at the end of the quarter and our bank defined leverage ratio ended the quarter at approximately 3.8 times. Net debt decreased 84 million from last quarter due to our cash generation in Q3. Now please turn to slide 29. Overall, we are narrowing and improving our guidance ranges for adjusted EBITDA and cash flows. Revenue guidance has decreased slightly, driven by an increase in intercompany work. We've tightened the revenue guidance for Earth Intelligence by $20 million to a range of $1.06 to $1.085 billion. The midpoint remains unchanged from what we issued previously. We spoke earlier this year about our goal of driving up to 100 million new product growth at Earth Intelligence this year, including on 3D sales. We remain on track to accomplish this by year end. Earlier, Dan highlighted the 23% year-to-date growth we have seen with our commercial customers, and we continue to drive growth in our customer base as well, government customer base as well. At the midpoint of our guidance, we expect further fourth-quarter revenue to be roughly in line with the average quarterly run rate of the first three quarters of the year At space infrastructure we've increased the bottom end of our range by 5 million and lowered the top end of our guidance range by 10 million and expect the full year to fall between 740 million and 760 million representing low to mid single-digit growth we expect fourth quarter results to be to roughly mirror the second quarter driven by the timing of revenue recognition, particularly on recent commercial awards. As Dan spoke to earlier, space infrastructure had a booked bill of two and a half times in the third quarter. It's important to note that last year's fourth quarter benefited from a steep ramp in revenue associated with commercial geocom that were awarded earlier in 2020 and from a greater contribution from U.S. government work, including on the PPE and Psyche programs. Guidance for intersegment eliminations has increased modestly to an expected total of 65 million for the full year, driven by increased spend on the Worldview Legion program. As a result of the changes at space infrastructure and the change in intersegment eliminations, consolidated revenue guidance is now expected to fall into a range of 1.735 billion to 1.780 billion, down 12 million from our midpoint last quarter driven predominantly by the increase in intercompany eliminations. excluding the effects of EV deferred, the midpoint of our guidance applies approximately 7% growth for the year. Turning to adjusted EBITDA, at Earth Intelligence we have raised the midpoint by 15 million and now expect to be in a range of 465 million to 475 million for the year. As we highlighted earlier this year, Earnings at earth intelligence can vary with the timing of awards, and the nature of those awards can impact the margin profile quarter to quarter. Growth in our services portfolio continues to be constrained by the pace at which the government is making awards, with a significant number of proposals remaining outstanding. This is lower-margin business, however, so we are clearly benefiting from the growth in the higher-margin product revenues. We are making any changes to the full year adjusted EBITDA range for space infrastructure and expect margins to expand in the fourth quarter to levels similar to what we saw in the second quarter. Margins will fluctuate some quarter to quarter due to the nature of percent complete accounting and as volume and mix affect results. As such, it's important to look at trends over a longer period and on a year-over-year basis where we continue to see steady progress. As a reminder, Margins of space infrastructure have fluctuated this year given the impacts of the XXM 7 charge and the start of new programs, but we are clearly up on a year-to-date basis. Expectations for intersegment adjusted EBITDA eliminations have increased to 25 million for the full year, driven by the World Legion program. At a consolidated level, our guidance for adjusted EBITDA has increased 5 million implying roughly 300 basis points of margin expansion for the year, excluding the effects of EV deferred. Moving on to operating cash flow, we've increased both the low and the top end of the range on our operating cash flow by 20 million to a range of 260 to 290 million. As expected, the working capital changes we walked through during the second quarter call flipped to our favor in the third quarter. We are free cash flow positive on a year-date basis And we continue to expect to remain free cash flow positive for the full year. The ranges for CapEx are now 220 to 240 million, a decrease of roughly 18 million from the midpoint as of the second quarter. Turning now to a few comments about 2022. I said on our last earnings call that we clearly expect profit growth next year. At this point, the extent of that growth will be driven by a number of factors including the level of investment we make back into the business to drive growth to 22 and beyond. We should guide each year on our fourth quarter calls so we'll provide more clarity then. That said, if you simply take the midpoint of our guidance for the fourth quarter and annualize that, you get to a high adjust, higher adjusting Bit odd number than the midpoint of our guidance for the full year 2021. And of course, we'd expect some growth as we move through next year. On cash flow, growth will depend on where we end up this year and finalizing our investment decisions for next year. On 2023, we're still evaluating the effect of the Legion delay and the opportunities to offset whatever effect that has. We previously said we expected $80 million in growth from Legion in 2023 as part of the $165 million improvement from 2020 to 2023 in Earth Intelligence. Let's use that 165 million number to create some perspective. This year we are projecting approximately 40 million of growth in earth intelligence adjusted EBITDA over 2020. That is net of expenses incurred to support future growth, reductions in certain government spend that is expected to come back, and an environmental delay in our services awards. If we do nothing more than continue that $40 million a year of net growth for the next two years, we will cover 120 million of the 165 million of growth from 2020. That would leave us with 40 million but just EBITDA to be achieved from Legion or other sources, not the 80 million we pointed to almost two years ago prior to our more developed product efforts. It is still too early for me to say that our 2023 targets are unchanged due to the Legion delay, but I think this should help you understand that there are other considerations and you can't look at long-term guidance on a line-item basis continuing that thought on space infrastructure we said we were targeting 95 million in adjusted debit growth from 2020 to 2023 if you exclude the Sirius XM charge this year we are already on track to achieve that in 2021 we have a solid backlog as demonstrated by the total year-date booked bill of 1.1x and of course we remain focused on executing on worldview leagues and construction and the EOCL program with the NRO. All of this should have positive impact on the trajectory of cash flow, which we intend to reduce indebtedness and drive down leverage over time. We're excited about the trends we see in front of us, in front of us and we believe we're well positioned to drive total company growth in the years ahead. Operator, let's now begin the Q&A.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star and then the number one key on your touchtone telephone. Again, that is star one. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from Matt Sharp from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open.
4: Dan, Viggs, Jason, good afternoon and nice quarter. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt, thanks. Dan, I uh, appreciate the, the details on the path forward for Worldview Legion. Uh, that's very helpful. Um, maybe just um, stepping back here and looking at the the remaining key phases, um, I was hoping you could tell us which have maybe been um, more difficult and which have been less difficult based on past um, performance or, or the company's experience set another way. Where do you see variability in the schedule ahead here, and what milestones maybe do you do you think you'll have ticked off come the fourth quarter?
3: Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, you know, I, I think the the probably the best way to answer that is is to to reflect on what we've gotten done so far, um, and then you know, kind of think just through those steps ahead of us. But um, the the legacy of the Maxar team going all the way back through the SSL days is is a very very experienced uh, uh, satellite program management and satellite uh, manufacturing and testing team. Um, so as we've completed the you know, the things that threw us just a little bit this year were the, uh, the, the Raytheon and the Honeywell <laughs> supply chain issues. Um, we're, we've got the Honeywell parts. We're, we've got the first Raytheon instrument integrated, second one on its way shortly here. So as we move into the testing phases now, I think the you know the next big milestones we'll be looking at are making our way through thermal vac, uh, final integration and testing of all the flight software, and the and the the full complete uh, on-orbit simulated simulated testing of the satellite in the various environments, and then you know down to the launch range uh, for final prep and launch. So I, I I'm not sure that there's one I'm concentrating on any more than the others. Uh, we're very focused on the schedule. We're very focused on the March to June timeframe. And, um, you know, looking forward to getting that and getting these up and getting them tested and, and providing service for customers.
4: Got it. That's helpful. And then I think Biggs might have mentioned uh, 92% of the workforce vaccinated. Are the employees working on Legion subject to the president's mandate? And if so, is, is the workforce flexible enough to sort of backfill any employees that that? that might choose not to be vaccinated by the December 8th deadline?
3: Yeah, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, 92% is a, a, a very good number, and we're continuing to get you know, some other people filtering in. There are a handful of people that we're going to work through the protocols and the exemptions uh, that, are, that are listed under the executive order, but we're really encouraged with uh, how the teams move forward on this and don't expect any type of material impact either you know, to the main business or to the Legion program. Uh, throughout the rest of the year as we comply with the executive order. Um, we'll continue to watch developments as they occur. I know some, some other large contractors are, are looking at timelines for the final vaccinations and stuff and working through those, but we've been, you know, sort of full steam ahead with it and a uh, high degree of compliance.
4: Fantastic. Um, and then maybe one more, if I may. Um, the the SDA um, program, uh, transport layer, tranche one, um, move into an OTA. Does that, does that change anything for, for Maxar there? And then um, maybe just um, thinking about the program over the longer term, what's the, the opportunity, the potential there in terms of satellites or, or dollar figures?
3: Yeah, I think probably the maybe just, you know, as a headline, Maxar is really, really committed to its diversification efforts. Um, and uh, we're getting some you know, some strong traction uh, across different agencies, and we can remain committed to supporting the SDA and all of our government customers with the innovative solutions we really think we've got uh, to compete. Um, we, we did challenge the SDA transport layer uh, initial RFP because we thought it was unduly burdensome to industry and favored large companies, and I, I think we were, we were right with that quick reversal. They've now since moved to an OTA um, methodology. We're continuing to assess and review that, um, but we think we've got some great commercial capabilities for SDA and, and the national architecture as they build out tr- uh, Trans-1 uh, layers and other other aspects of, of what Space Force and SDA and the Department of the Air Force are all looking at. So, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to give any particular dollar numbers because we're in the middle of a lot of competitions right now. But um, we, we think they're significant and will contribute to uh, the, the resiliency of the space business going forward.
4: Great, thanks, Sam.
3: Thanks, Matt.
1: Your next question is from Tyler Bolanos from JP Morgan. Your line is open. Hey, good
4: afternoon, guys. Good hey, cool. afternoon. Just uh, a quick question on Legion and then one on space. Um, just starting on Legion, uh, is there any update you guys could provide on the other four instruments from Raytheon that you guys expected? I think uh, previously you expected it to come this fall. Um, just wondering if that's still the, the right time, maybe by the year end. And then on space infrastructure, if you could just touch on the backlog growth and maybe what the opportunities there are for 2022 and where we could see that segment go.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'll hit the Raytheon one first, and then I'll talk about space infrastructure and backlog and some of our you know our pipeline opportunities there on on the the instrument, um, we did find a minor issue during during the first instrument integration, um, not really unexpected during a first build, uh, but it did that learning did require some slight modifications. Uh, those are already in process for the other instruments, and so had a slight delay on flight modules two through six. Um, as that gets corrected, we'll be back on, uh, you know, the, the center lines we expect to be with uh, the, uh, the schedule, as as we stated, you know, the, the March to June time frame for the first launch, and then three to six months uh, for the remaining satellites getting up. Um, I, I just – stress one point. I think it's important to note that we at, and Max are here consider that change to be extremely low risk. So, it wasn't something that knocked the program off its schedule or anything. It was just something we had to work through and then, that we had to work through with Raytheon, and they've been uh, very helpful and cooperative in the process. So, uh, good news there. Um, let's see. Your other question was about the space infrastructure and, and where we're seeing some of the pipeline and, and what's going forward. So, I guess – Probably, um, you know, the good news is uh, we, we continue to diversify. Uh, we had some really strong awards um, last year uh, in the geo market, geocom market commercially with the C-band awards. Uh, Sirius XM 9 and 10 have certainly been great awards for us this year, and uh, that overweights the commercial uh, sector a little bit more than we thought initially, but but they're great wins, and we'll, we'll take that kind of good business with customers wherever it comes from. Um, on the defense intel side, you know, we said it would be – uh you know a three to five year story uh during our during our investor day back in march of 2020 and we've been booking study contracts where which are a precursor to production work you have know, got solid capabilities in spacecraft propulsion robotics uh, commercial heritage and, and a very strong quality track record uh we'll continue to assess our partnering strategy there where we can be either a prime or a sub uh, for some of the larger other defense and aero companies so and we've also been bolstering our, our mission architecture and business capture teams On the pipeline, we see geo uh, market being mostly flattish uh, with a solid replacement pipeline, both for bent pipe and digital solutions. Uh, Leo market, opportunities are a bit nascent, but we're engaged in a number of engineering studies there. And with the civil agencies, uh, timelines and budgets are are gating items, but we're really encouraged by the administration support for uh, the, the space programs moving forward.
5: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?
6: The new Super Beats Hard Chews Advanced is now supercharged with COQ10. Support your healthy COQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats B E E T S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
2: Your next question hope I, I hope I hit your, your question. Your <laughs> question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And your next question is from Peter Arman from Baird. Your line is open.
0: Hi, hey, good afternoon. You actually have Eric Gruden on the line for Peter today. I um, appreciate the color on the twenty twenty three targets and the EBITDA growth and Earth Intelligence kinda ex lesion there. Uh, but just to follow up on that, you know, given the uh, delays to the remaining Raytheon instruments, and it seems like the first two the first batch here is more key risk than the second, can that first batch do that forty million of EBITDA growth by twenty twenty three? once that, that first launch takes place?
3: So I, I'd say, I, the first thing I, I think I'd stress is that we're not expecting uh, the, the issues that we uncovered and the minor issues we'd had during the integration to knock the overall program schedule off. So um, we do still continue to expect to, to march forward with the rest of the program. So I'd just like to make sure we clarify that, if, if I wasn't um, sort of rock solid on that earlier. Um, in terms of the, the growth path, um, you know we're continuing to grow on the current constellation. We do expect the legions, the first two, and then the, the, the additional four legions, to provide strong incremental growth to us uh, as soon as they're commissioned and start providing revenue service. Um, in terms of capacity, uh, any two legions uh, have at more capacity than the Worldview four legion or the Worldview four satellite we lost um, in early. 2020, 2019. 2019, sorry. Yeah. First part of 2019. But, and, and at that time, that satellite had uh, over $80 million of revenue on it and very high EBITDA. So, we, you know, just to kind of give you a, a perspective there, two legions could generate a lot of revenue and a lot of EBITDA for the business. Yeah, and I
2: think it's important to note, uh, if you reflect back on Dan's prepared uh, remarks regarding the Legion schedule, uh, that the, the first two go up in the March-June timeframe and the second or the remaining satellites will go up uh, three to six months later. Um, so we, uh, the issue that he talked about here on Raytheon, uh, uh, to his point, has not knocked uh, that schedule off um, at this point. So reflect back on the prepared remarks for that one.
0: Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then maybe just a, a quick one on, on the CapEx. Uh, is the 30 million impact to CapEx for next year uh, from the Legion delay still the right number it looks like you took down the guide fifteen to twenty million this year. Is that savings or is that just timing being pushed out to twenty two? No, that's a great question. I think uh as to the you know, the peer effect of the Legion cost growth we had through the delay, the thirty million is still a good number. Uh the twenty million I think it's a little early to say whether that dominoes directly into next year or not. That's one of the things that we'll just have to consider as we uh Uh, set our guidance for next year when we come back in the fourth quarter call.
3: Okay. Appreciate the color.
0: I'll hop back in queue.
1: Your next question is from Tim James from TD Securities. Your line is open.
0: Uh, Thanks. um, Good
6: afternoon, everyone um quick question actually for Biggs first just in, and forgive me if you covered this in your commentary but i, I don't think i heard it the the change in the the, the dna guidance for the year the the increase I think it was about 25 million for the year could you talk about
2: what was the cause of that yeah, i'm sorry yeah i'll i'll take this one this it's the modest uptick in the depreciation and amortization uh, guidance for the year that's um fully rolling in all of the um uh the amortization from the Vrycon acquisition um, and uh the capex that we've brought on uh, so far this year. Okay. Thanks, Jason.
6: Um and my second question uh Dan, just want to go back to you know you made reference a couple times and and it's not not a surprise your your capacity constrained uh on the imagery side. Um just interested, where what does that mean? Like, where does that demand go? Do customers look to competitors to fill their needs, or do they just hold off on acquiring imagery? Like, like, how does your customer base adjust, or how should we interpret that when you see your capacity constraint? Which presumably, I assume, means that you could be selling more imagery if you had it available.
3: Yeah, I, as as we've as we've been discussing for some time now we are sold out in certain regions of the world but uh, even with that we've continued to grow and I I think that's kind of we wanted to highlight that in the commercial side that we're up 23% year to date and continue to see strong applications for our data and products on on the on the straight issue of capacity um, our, our current constellation does provide uh, the world's best um, data and satellite access for our customers. Um, we have had, uh, as, as I mentioned on the on the call, uh, five nations now uh, enhance their ground capacity alike ahead of the Legion launches, and we've had one capacity, pre-capacity sale of the Legion capacity. We are aware of one customer that did delay a con. A a competition because they want Legion to be in the mix when that comes out, an international uh, customer. So, um, I mean, what we're seeing is uh, a lot of the smaller competitors don't really meet the mission needs uh, for what the Intel agencies uh, and defense applications are or for what some of the high-tech applications are with our our large technology customers as well. So, we think there's there's unmet demand in the marketplace um, and we're really looking forward to Legion getting on orbit to be able to meet that demand. Okay, thank you. Can I just sneak one quick
6: one in here, Dan, the great slide that, you know, talks about the five emergent commercial industries for geospatial uh, data and analysis, could you comment, is one or two of those, would you say a bigger opportunity than the others, or do you think they all represent pretty equally sized uh, opportunities for for Maxar over the next uh, three to five years?
3: You know, I I think they all represent really compelling opportunities for us. Uh, That's why we we put them in the slide that way. But we're, we're, you know, just kind of like this year, 23% year-to-date is coming from a a range of applications and customers. Uh, Right now, the tech companies seem to be um, growing their, their revenue and profit profile with us faster than the others. But we see really strong indications that autonomy and autonomous vehicles are going to be a large driver in the future. Uh, risk management applications uh, we see as being a, a very strong area of growth for us, and and then um, back to autonomous, not uh, automotive, but we're we're actually we're picking up customers that do things like using our data to be able to fly drones around, um, and and that kind of application. Um, what we're what we're watching really kind of close to as well is not just the, the traditional mapping applications you might see through Google and and like uh, tech companies like that. but but gaming, uh, simulation, uh, metaverse applications, which we're we're far in advance on now with the work we're doing on the One World Terrain system uh, for the U.S. Army to be able to create a a simulated training environment based on that 3D-type application and the high-accuracy data that goes into it. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about some of those technologies transitioning back and forth across the intel, defense, and commercial establishments as we, we continue to see expansion in those markets. Great. Thank you very much for the answers. Thanks,
1: Tim. Your next question is from Ron Epstein from Bank of America. Your light is open.
6: Good evening. It's actually Elizabeth on for Ron tonight. Um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of I'd call it relatively new entrants to the Earth observation market, whether it's Planet or Black Sky or Spire, and I was just wondering how you think of them uh, in the competitive landscape, given that some of them also do imagery, but then, for example, Spire has a little bit of a different angle on the Earth observation market.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we continue to be very aware of, of uh, the environment around us, including the new companies and, and um, what's going on. We're also, I think... The, you know, most focused on meeting our customers' uh, current and emerging needs. And I think it's pretty clear from the Q3, result, Q3 results we've continued to trim, demonstrate, you know, strong growth here at Maxar. Um, we do continue, as I, as I mentioned earlier, to have the most sophisticated and capable constellation on orbit now. And Legion will only be adding to that for electro-optical solutions. Um, and, and across that, we've been investing in AI, uh, ML, and, and 3D capabilities. Um, that commercial business, off uh, a base of $143 million in 2020, uh, growing 23% year-to-date, which is bigger than, you know, I guess all the spacs combined if you start to roll up numbers. And um, you know, we th- we think we're positioned well moving forward with the investments we've made, with the investments we'll continue to make, and, and as we drive towards what we think the customer solutions look like. So we're uh, we're not standing still. We're aware of what's going on, and we're we're continuing to drive forward. It's probably worth pointing out, too, that Planet Black Sky really
0: aren't new. Uh, they've, they've been in the market for many years.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, Biggs. I mean, some of these companies have been around for uh, a decade or so, and, and you know getting a lot more press now this the SPAC market. But, look, we're, we're watching it. Uh, we're, we're intrigued by some of the TAMs out there. Um, we think if, you know, we're, we're trying to – take the, the view that we see of them based on what we see current customer and future customer needs looking like, but if those TAMs uh, turn out to be, you know, fraction of what some of the people say they are, we, we expect to take a very large percentage of that market share as well. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Your next question is from Thanos Muskopoulos from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
7: Hi, good afternoon. Uh, Dan, maybe expanding on the competition question, um, I guess one more recent development is Airbus having launched uh, some of their satellites. So for the first time, there's another 30-centimeter resolution competitor with commercial imagery. Um, Now, I guess from your commentary, um, you know, it sounds like you're obviously seeing strong demand uh, regardless. Just curious if that's changing the dynamic at all. And I guess as one of the answers that there's just a lot of other parameters that matter to the customer beyond just the resolution.
3: Yeah, I, thanks, Thanos. And, I mean, as you, you've you been following us for quite a while, uh, Airbus has long been a competitor uh, for both the international defense and intelligence and commercial industry, uh, so that's not new. Um, uh, they've been launching the NEO satellites, and uh, all indications are they provide, uh, you know, very capable uh, data and, and service for the customers. Um, we're, we'll are continue to, to compete with them across the world in, the, in those areas. Areas, but uh, that's nothing new, really, for the, the legacy digital globe or where we are with Maxar today. Um, so we're um, just kind of – we're confident in the the way we're seeing that unfold across the world.
7: Okay. And uh, just on the margins, uh, so looking at these space infrastructure margins, they uh, were up year-over-year, year, but they dipped relative to Q2, and you're calling them to rebound in Q4. Is anything to call out there, or is that just a function of um, – you know,
0: the cadence of uh, the, the various programs. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, driven by product sales mix, uh, one quarter to another. Uh, the the increase in revenues we have on product are going to create a little bit more
2: lumpiness from one period to the next as you look quarter to quarter. Yeah, and that's that, that, that's a good uh, that's on the Earth intelligence side and then on oh, space infrastructure. Oh, sorry, he was asking. Yeah, on on space, on the, infrastructure, uh, on space infrastructure. Space yeah. infrastructure. It's a little bit different
0: uh, story. There's, there's some mix in there. But if you look at the uh, uh, second quarter, uh, we had a number of smaller positive upticks on uh, programs, on EACs, which uh, boosts uh, both revenue and margins. And then in the third quarter, there were a few small adjustments uh, going the other way on EACs, not singularly material. And then there was one uh, pass-through cost that really represented a contingency that was outstanding that we may still uh, not have to uh, uh, incur when it's all said and done, but we, we booked a few million dollars on a, on a pass-through cost in the third quarter. And so, you know, you put all that together and it creates a little bit of volatility from second quarter to third quarter, but still, you know, really good margins compared to the past and uh, overall on a good trend through the year if you look at fourth quarter it would be projected to be relatively uh you know normal without without noise upwards or downwards in terms of what we project If you
7: look at the middle of the range for the fourth quarter and uh, thanks and then finally um, in terms of um, when the first uh, part of the region launches is that going to have any impact on gross margins um, at all know, either direction, or should that be relatively neutral as an event uh, just on a short-term basis?
0: Well, it first has to be, you become operational, it's not just a matter of instantly upon launch, and so uh, it'll go through uh, in-orbit testing and commissioning, and so then it will ramp up. So it'll be a very gradual uh, you know, production. I shouldn't say gradual, I was trying to make it as fast as we can, but it'll be a gradual uh, increase of of revenue. It will be high margin though when it comes on.
3: Yeah, I, we we won't have to spend a a, a lot more on the infrastructure. The current infrastructure supports the the operations uh, of the Legion constellation uh, uh, substantially, and the. Uh, the way we're set up for produ- production, um, the, the products and the types of services we provide at those satellites will scale uh, very nicely into the existing cost base. Yeah, and the thing that I would
2: add, uh, Thanos, is that, you know, the billion-one roughly in earth intelligence revenue, 300 million of it is in that services business. It runs at 10 to 12 percent EBITDA margins. And as we bring Legion capacity online, um, the other 800 million will be growing a bit faster than the services business. Uh, so, uh, that, by kind of definition, is is should be margin accretive for us.
7: Great, thanks, guys.
1: Your next question is from Peter Osterland from Truva Securities. Your line is open.
6: Uh, hey, good evening. This is Pete on for Mike Trimoli tonight. Uh, thanks for taking our question. Um, Last quarter, you called out some internal mission assurance and engineering resources that you were adding to address some of the delays you've experienced with the uh, Worldview Legion launch. So just wanted to ask how that has progressed. Are there any efficiency improvements that you've been able to realize as a result, and
3: uh, are there other areas within the company where those resources have also been useful? Yeah, I'd say uh, probably... Uh, nothing that we didn't expect or, or that we didn't uh, bake into how we were thinking about the business going forward or, and the, the program in general. Um, I, I do think it's an advantage for us. Um, you know, As one max or as a larger company, we've got lots of good resources uh, across the organization that we can flex uh, from the space side to the Earth Intel side or from the Earth Intel side to the space side, um, depending on where we need uh, uh, you know, particular types of engineering or software or other types of support on programs or mission assurance reviews or those kind of things. So I I think, uh, you know, it's good to see the teams operating uh, cohesively um, and and driving forward for uh, customer mission success. Thanks very much.
1: Your last question is from Chris Quilty from Quilty Analytics. Your line is open.
8: Hi, guys. Um, Question for you on the – um, commercial pipeline and, I guess, the, the commercial growth that you've seen, uh, if you could maybe quantify, you know, the, the recent growth spurt, is that driven more by adding new customers or adding new products? Or, you know, is it is it existing customers uh, buying additional products or more volume of, of legacy products, uh, some kind
3: of flavor of where that growth is coming from? Uh, yes, Um, (laughs) Hey, Chris. Um, Yeah, so it's a combination. um, that We're seeing really good traction with some of the existing customers on new products. So uh, the 3D capabilities would would be something I'd highlight there, but also 15-centimeter HD and um, our our worldwide solution base maps, the vivid and those kind of things for the tech customers that are looking for highly accurate but visually appealing uh, information sets. Um, And and they're they're really intrigued by by how 3D helps not just lock data sources down, but also conduct things like autonomous navigation and otherwise. There are are a a healthy dose of new customers coming in um, with that 3D technology as well that we're seeing solutions uh, being provided for. So that's that's really exciting to see. And then I'd say, you know, the product growth generally uh, across has been, you know, something I'm really glad we've been investing in. The, the 3D capabilities, the AI and ML capabilities we're bringing to bear, um, helping solve people's problems, not just not just providing data or software access to them.
8: Gotcha. And you know, with the uh, the Legion program coming online, you have some pretty good visibility from your government customer and and certainly international defense and intel. You know, if they're they're putting hardware in place. How, how do you gauge the incremental demand that you may see from the commercial side? Are there any indicators you can point to or discussions you're having with customers that, you know, when you look at the, you know, whatever, 80 million of revenue ramp uh, in whatever period, you know, should half of that be coming from commercial or, or the majority or something less?
3: Uh, boy, trying, kind of tough to parse out which which will grow faster. It's it's fun when you put that challenge in front of the sales teams to see you know who's gonna who's gonna drive their numbers harder. Um, the uh, the and there's always been a promise in this business, but but you know of a very large commercial market. I think it, at 143 and growing 23% year to date, we're we're seeing some of the traction on that with the better refined products we've got as well as cloud compute environments and how AI and ML can help snap some of that together for solutions. So we're, we're excited about that. Um, the Vricon, it's not just a 3D solution that we're bringing to bear, but there are our 3D point clouds that help disparate sources of information uh, be, be layered in um, and made sense of for analyst ready data and AI and ML ready data. So that's, that's really exciting as well. Um, you know on the government side we're I'm not sure which one's going to run faster, quite honestly, but we're really excited to see uh, the trend lines on the commercial side and and you know there's a future scenario where that that could be a very uh, material it's already material I guess, but a very com- comprehensive and large part of our business, much like the government business is now.
8: Gotcha a clarification on slide six where you've got the five million square meters of uh, square kilometers excuse me of capacity. That's clearly includes six Legion satellites, but what other satellites does it assume in that number?
3: Um, that assumes the that assumes the the current constellation right now. Um, I think minus gy one at some point. So it would assume the Worldview constellation plus the Legions. Um, but
0: gonna...
3: yeah, we, we've got the I guess we've got the capacity to you know, if, if the market signals are there to to add to the Legion constellation, if and when it's gotcha. appropriate to do so.
8: And you typically update in the 10K, you know, where you currently assume the life cycle on those legacy satellites, which is it currently now being driven by fuel on the satellites or technical aspects of, of the system's performance and power and whatnot?
3: Yeah, none of, none of them are fuel limited, um, which which I think is good. We do update that table annually, and, and as you, you've you noted several times in the past, we've extended those um, uh, life uh yeah, it's basically just an engineering simulation on for the depreciation and amortization schedules. Um, I, I guess what I would note that I haven't made remarks about before is that we, uh, we did just renew our insurance uh, for all four satellites. Um, we've got the same coverage levels as we had last year, and there were really no material changes to the premiums. So that probably gives, you know, some expectation that we, you know, every year the satellites on orbit, we continue to expect them to last uh, longer in space.
8: that's good, given what's been happening to insurance rates. Okay, final question, um, and maybe when we're going to get an unsatisfactory answer, but some recent news story rumors around uh, potential funding issues with the EOCL, unclear whether they're talking about the traditional optical or some of the new phenomenologies. I know we're not going to get a detailed answer because it's all still in process, but uh, uh, do you feel as well today as you did a quarter ago about, the outlook
3: for uh, EOCL and, and funding levels in your position? Uh, yes, a- actually, uh, pretty confident in, in what we're seeing for funding levels for EOCL. Um, uh, the, the RFP uh, was issued this morning uh, by the NRO, then responses are due December 3rd. Um, consistent with, the, with their expectations in the first calendar quarter of 2022, we do expect um, awards. Um and you know I, I think we're uh, this follows an extensive uh, review by the US government over the past two years, both for industry studies as well as uh, setting out requirements for the DoD and the intelligence community and um, uh, as as Pete moon said in his his remarks to the press this morning, uh, they continue to see expanded use of commercial to meet uh, the nation's needs so we're we're I spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill. I think there's a lot of strong support for the EOCL program, what it provides, and uh, the fact that it's a good deal for the U.S. taxpayers.
8: Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, operator,
2: I think we've got time for one more. Yeah.
1: All right. Yes, sir. Your last question is from Austin Muller from Chronicle Genuity. Your line is open.
0: Good evening, Dan. Um, I don't know if this has been asked already, but I just want, was wondering uh, about the recent news report that Intelsat was planning to buy 10 geo satellites sometime early next year, and what percentage of that you think uh, might be might be won by Maxar, and then also on the non-geostationary satellite uh, point, fleet that they've been planning to announce for next year, if that's something that you plan to have the space infrastructure business pursue.
3: Hey, thanks for the question. I I guess, you know, we've got a long history with Intelsat and uh, continue to engage closely with them to to try and um, meet their mission solutions. Uh, We're aware of the article, uh, really no no comment on that particular aspect of it, other than to note that we do have technical solutions that allow us to compete for uh, bids with Intelsat. Uh, we had strong performance on the um, the C-band awards. Uh, some of the ones that are referenced in the article are software-defined satellites, and we'll continue to work very hard to to keep that long-term customer happy and keep winning business from them.
0: Okay, great, thank you.
3: Thank you.
1: Okay, and I'm showing sure no further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back to Mr. Jason Gerski for any additional or closing comments.
2: Great. Uh, thank you, Operator. Uh, thanks to all uh, for dialing in and for your interest in Maxar. Uh, we look forward to uh, reconnecting with you all early next year on our fourth quarter earnings call. Uh, until then, uh, have a great holiday season.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation and have a great day.